0: For beautiful music this morning, turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. We'll be looking at various passages in Acts this morning. So if you'll keep your, your Bibles open this morning. We continue our sermon series from the Acts of the Apostles. And we'll be in Acts 4.36 in, in just a moment. We're going to look at a character more than we are just one passage. We are looking at the encourager this morning. We're taking a look. Barnabas. I saw them tearing a building down, a gang of men in a dusty town. With a yo-heave-ho and a lusty yell, they swung the beam and the sidewall fell. I asked the foreman if these men were as skilled as the men he'd hire if he were to build. He laughed and said, oh no, indeed, common labor is all I need. For those men can wreck in a day or two what builders have taken years to do. I asked myself as I went my way, which role am I to play? Am I the builder who builds with care, measuring life by rule and square? Or I am the wrecker who walks the town content with the role of tearing down? When one of our daughters was in preschool... She said, Daddy, I want you to talk to me the way you talk to Jake. Now, Jake is our dearly departed schnauzer. Daddy, I want you to talk to me the way you talk to Jake. What did she mean? I I thought for a little while, and then I realized when I talk to Jake, I get in a different high-pitched voice, and it's all positive jake's such a good boy aren't you jake you're so wonderful you're daddy's best friend and i i talked to jake in encouraging tones i must have talked to this daughter in some corrective tones i i'm not sure but man what does that say about your parenting skills if your daughter in preschool says daddy talk to me like you talk to the dog that's that's not all good i don't think for my grade in parental rearing skills, but that's an absolute true story. Daddy, talk to me like you talk to Jay. How do you talk to those in your family, those around you, those in the workplace, those in the classroom? You know, we could be remembered for a lot of great attributes, but I can think of no greater attribute than to be remembered. As someone who is an encourager. I can think of no greater attribute this morning than to be remembered as someone who's an encourager to others. That brings us to Barnabas, whose very name means son of encouragement. What a great name! Son of encouragement. Now, encouragement is not the etymology of my name, and, and probably not your name either, but while it's not our name, encouragement can certainly be a part of who we are. During the Second Boer War in 1899 to 1902, a man was convicted of a very unusual crime. The town of Ladysmith, South Africa, was being, they were in a battle, they were being attacked. And while this traitor went up and down the lines of the defenders and gave them discouraging news (laughs) We're going to lose. They're going to take the town. You're going to get killed. You need to surrender. You need to quit. He was convicted of being a discourager. I wonder this morning, if I could be convicted of being a discourager, if you could be convicted of being a discourager. He didn't use artillery in his attack. It wasn't necessary. He used the all-powerful weapon of discouragement. Well, unless you think this is a pop psychology talk, what does Scripture have to say about encouragement? Is it important in God's Word? You bet it is. Paul wrote to the Colossians, I'm sending Tychicus to encourage you. To both Timothy and Titus on another occasion, Paul commanded, encourage your churches. In Acts, the church in Jerusalem sent a letter to the Christians in Antioch and it says, the report of God's word, they were encouraged. Later we read, Silas said much to encourage the brothers. Four times, and first Thessalonians alone, we are admonished to encourage one another, and the writer of Hebrews says, encourage one another every day. No, it's not about pop psychology, it's about God's word. Of all the commands, we are commanded often to be encouragers. The ministry of encouragement is central to the New Testament. Encouragement is mentioned as a duty of believers time and again. We live in a world that discourages us on every single hand, but the church ought to be the place if anyone could come and hear a word of encouragement. You know the old cowboy sings about being home, home on the range, where the deer and the antelope play, and seldom is heard a discouraging word. I don't know what what kind of utopian fantasy that old cowboy was living in, but in the news that I get in the newspaper, what I see on the television and the computer, there's a whole lot more discouraging words than there are encouraging words. Every day, you and I are bombarded with negativity and discouragement. We live in a discouraged world looking for an encouraging word. We live in a discouraging world looking for an encouraging word. Well, let's see how Barnabas, the son of encouragement, was such an encourager to the early church. Well, look at chapter 4, verse 36 through 37. And Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who's also called Barnabas by the apostles, if you didn't believe me, look at that, which translated means son of encouragement. He owned a tract of land and he sold it and he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. The first word is giving. Barnabas was an encourager by giving. The first time we come across Barnabas in the book of Acts, he's being an encourager by making a financial gift to the church. The Christian church is young at this point, Started with 120 believers. Day of Pentecost, we have 3,000. By now we have even more. The needs are great. Barnabas has a piece of land and he sells it and he gives it all to the church. Churches need folks like Barnabas. First Baptist needs folks like Barnabas who are willing to make those kinds of sacrifices to help the church proclaim, and advance the kingdom of God. I'm afraid that stewardships become worse than a four-letter word in churches today. For some folks, it's really hard to talk about and equally hard to give. They're like the little boy at elementary school who, on Valentine's Day, bought a, a very nice gift by his standards for his new girlfriend and It was wrapped so beautifully by his mother, and he handed it to her, and on the card he wrote, with all my love and most of my allowance, he'd given the gift. (laughs) Some of us feel that way when we put something in the offering plate, like we've really outdone ourselves. Why do you give? Why do you encourage the church by your giving? Do you give out a sense of duty? Do you give out a sense of guilt? Do you, do you give out a sense of keeping a law? Is it pressure from the pulpit? Is it a selfish hope that if I give to God, I'll get something back? It really comes down to this. Do I really believe that Christ is the answer for the problems of the world? Do I really believe that Christ is the answer to the problems of the world? Do I really believe That the church is his bride. Do I really believe that Christ changes, that Christ influences the world through the presence of the body of baptized believers called the church, which is the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the family of God. If I believe that Christ is the only way, and if I believe that church is the only institution ordained by God, then my tithe, my gift ought to go to my church. Barnabas gave because he loved God. Barnabas gave because he loved God's people. You can give without loving. You cannot love without giving. You can give without loving, but you cannot love Christ and his people if you're not giving. It is as simple as that. There's a second word, not only giving, but believing. Turn over to Acts chapter 9, verse 26. Barnabas encouraged others by believing. In Acts 9:26 we read, And when he had come to Jerusalem, Paul was trying to associate with the disciples, and they were afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles, and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and that he had talked to him and how at Damascus, he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. And he was with them moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. Now, you remember Paul's story. He had been a persecutor of the church. In fact... At the time of his salvation, he's on the road to Damascus, has letters in hand from the religious authorities in Jerusalem to arrest Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem for trial. And while he's on that road to persecute Christians, yet even outside of Jerusalem, he sees the bright light and he finds out when you fight the church, you're fighting Jesus. He's persecuting the church. You remember that? But that's not what the voice says. The resurrected Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? If you persecute the church, you're persecuting Jesus. Why are you persecuting me? And you remember how after giving his life, he wanted later to go to Jerusalem He wanted to be with those Christians who had walked with Jesus those three years. He was so excited. He too had seen the resurrected Christ. And he wanted to learn more about this Jesus. But they were afraid. I don't know. This might be a ploy. This might be undercover. He might act like he's part of the church to get inside the church to arrest the leaders. They gave, when Paul went to Jerusalem, they gave him the cold shoulder. In fact, you remember... He was so sincere in his faith that they surrounded the city and they had to let him out in a basket. Barnabas goes and talks to him and learns that indeed he's a true believer and secondly that he had risked his life in Damascus for Jesus and he goes and he introduces him to the apostles, to Peter and John, the apostles, and, and lets him know. And that atmosphere of fear and prejudice and rejection. Who was the one who stepped up and first talked to and believed the Apostle Paul? And if Barnabas had not been that kind of encourager, you would be without the majority of your New Testament today. But Barnabas believed in Paul and Peter and John and the other disciples gave him the cold shoulder. Barnabas, the son of encouragement, introduces him to the apostles. When you believe in people, you give them a new chance. What Barnabas was saying to the disciples is, I believe in Paul. Don't you want to believe in Paul? Don't you think people can change? I think Paul has changed. When you you get rid of the fear and the prejudice and being afraid of other people when you see others with hope you allow them to see themselves and their own situation with hope John Powell in his book fully human fully alive tells a story about his friend who went to the Bahamas on a trip And there was a big gathering around the pier, and he he couldn't resist what's going on. He he joins a throng of folks at the pier, and there was a young man in a homemade boat, a boat he had made himself, and he was going to set sail to sail around the world in his homemade boat. And John Powell's friend said, without exception, everybody on the pier was discouraging the young man. Words like this, you're going to run out of food. The storm's going to turn your boat over. Are you a fool? What are you doing? As the boy pushed his homemade boat to sail around the world out into the water, John Powell's friend said he couldn't help but utter a word of encouragement. Man, we're proud of you, he shouted. That is something else. You made that boat yourself? Man, you're going to make it. We believe in you. We are proud of you. We'll see you on the other side. Who would you have been on the end of that pier? Would you have been shouting words, you'll never make it? Or would you have shouted, you're really something. We believe in you. The world is full of discouragers, those individuals who go through life with a dark cloud over his head or her head who like nothing more than the rain on everybody else's parade. But as a people of God, we are to be a people of hope. It is imperative that we who bear the hope of Christ are different than this discouraging world. We too ought to be sons and daughters of encouragement. Well, there's a third word. It's our passage we read already in, in Acts 11. The word is serving. Serving. Turn to Acts 11:21. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. And the news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. And when he had come and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced, look at this, and began to encourage them all with a resolute heart to remain true to the Lord, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And considerable numbers were brought to the Lord, and he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch, and it came about for an entire year. They met with the church and taught considerable numbers, and disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. During that time of persecution by Saul or Paul, the church began to scatter. God used the the evil of the persecution to cause the scattering of his church. Some even made it 300 miles north of Jerusalem to the place called Antioch. And the word came to the church in Jerusalem that these weren't Jews. These were Gentiles, and they were believing in Jesus. A large number believed and turned to the Lord. Verse 21... When they got the news of this revival in the most unlikely place, Antioch, with all the Gentiles, they sent a one-man committee. They sent Barnabas. Now, why would they choose to send Barnabas? Because Barnabas was an encourager. Barnabas believed in people. In fact, he went and got his new believer friend Paul and and brought him back and they stayed there for a year why Barnabas because Barnabas was a good man who was willing to take risks to encourage people he was willing to get involved in human lives and human lives that were so unlike his own Barnabas had the heart of a servant I was checking out at one of the big box home improvement stores this weekend and I'm not going to use any names There was, the the teller kept staring at me, and I had on a a T-shirt and blue jeans, but she kept staring. I know the face. I'm going to get this. You could tell. And finally she said, First Baptist Church. And I said, yes, ma'am, I don't look like it today, but you're right, First Baptist Church. And she said, I went there for two years. She was an African-American girl. I went there for two years. A lady... A lady took me, and she described the lady to me, and believe it or not, I guessed the lady out of all of you. And she said, for two years, she didn't just take me. She took me and my family to First Baptist Church. I'll give you one clue. She said she has a really, really tall son, a really, really tall son. You can think about that one. Believing, reaching out, building relationships, knowing what's important. Then verse 23, he began to encourage them all with a resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. Barnabas was an encourager. Heard the story about a minister who was depressed and defeated, and believe it or not, um, The Lord has blessed me. That's not something I I suffer from, but many in ministry do suffer from depression. And while he was sitting in in the pastor's office, he was looking out the window, and there was a starling perched on the sill, and the starling was giving the starling's call, and the pastor heard in his moment of depression, give it up. Give it up. In fact, he began to imagine in his mind that maybe God had sent the bird to give him the message to get out of the ministry. Give it up. Give it up. A friend entered the pastor's study and described what the starling was saying to him. And the man listened to a moment, and the starling called again. He said, oh, no, you missed it. It is. Keep it up. Keep it up. That's what the bird's saying to you. In your ministry, what would you have heard the starling call? Barnabas would have heard, keep it up. He encouraged them with a resolute heart to remain true to the word of God. People need to be encouraged. I read a story about a man in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, who, living, just went ahead and decided he wanted to go and have his funeral. He said, it doesn't do any good to have all those, all those nice things said about you after you're dead. And so he decided he'd go ahead and have his funeral while he was alive. And so they, they published his funeral in the newspaper. And he came to the church in a hearse and rode in the back and got out. And there were flowers down front. People gave the flowers. He sat in the chair right there in the middle of all the flowers. And people got up and did eulogies. The pastor talked about what a great guy he was. And he says, now what good would that have done me after I was dead? nothing I'm not going to do funerals for living people so don't you get any ideas (laughs) I'm I'm very busy burying the dead so we're not going to start a new tradition that is not what this is about but the point was well taken he was so longing for an encouraging word that he was willing to have his funeral before he was dead there's a fourth and final word it's the word forgiving the word forgiving, Acts 15:36. Acts 15:36. He encouraged by forgiving. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, "Let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are." And Barnabas was desirous of taking John, called Mark, along with him also. But Paul kept insisting they should not take John, Mark, along, who deserted them at Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose such a sharp disagreement. They separated from one another, and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. You remember that first missionary journey? Paul and Barnabas and Barnabas's young cousin by the name of John Mark. Things went well until they arrived at Pamphylia, and for some reason at Pamphylia, John Mark just called it quits. I don't know if he was homesick, don't know if he was too young, don't know what was wrong, but he was young and he quit. Whatever was wrong, Paul wasn't buying it. In Paul's book, he was a deserter, and he was a quitter. And so when it came time for the second missionary journey to revisit all the churches they had started on the first missionary journey, Paul goes to Barnabas, says, let's go again. And Barnabas says, oh, great, I'll go get John Mark. And Paul says, oh, no, uh. Uh-uh. John Mark's not going to me. John Mark's a quitter. I don't associate with quitters. In fact, it was such a sharp division over these friends that Barnabas says, Paul, if you can't forgive him and accept him, I'll go my way with John Mark. And that is exactly what he did. One of the pressing needs amongst believers today is forgiveness. If you're going to be an encouraging Christian, you must be a forgiving Christian. When you forgive others, you reflect the spirit of Jesus on the cross who said to those who had so wronged him, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. When you forgive people, you offer them a clean slate, a fresh opportunity when you forgive people, you give them the opportunity to forget about their past and to believe in their future because you believe in their future. Some of you remember the old comic strip, Andy, Cap, and Flo. In this particular comic strip, Flo is pacing the floor back and forth in the comic strip. She seems upset when she says to Andy Cap to her husband. Three whole days without speaking, this is ridiculous. The next frame, she approaches Andy and says, I'm sorry I acted like I did. You were right, all forgiven. The next frame, Andy says, all right, all forgiven. He starts to the door, but before he does, Flo reaches out for a hug and a kiss, and he gives her kind of a reluctant, cool Welcome to the hug and the kiss. Andy steps out the door in the next frame. And one of his buddies is standing at the door and said, I heard the whole thing. And the friend says, it takes a good woman to apologize when she's wrong. And Andy whispers in the last frame, yeah, and even a better one, to apologize when she's not wrong. yes and even a better one, to apologize when she's not wrong. A lot of the time we create unnecessary conflict and tension to our constant obsession with who's right and who's wrong. Playing the courtroom never reflects the spirit of forgiveness in Christ. Sometimes it's, it's best to seek reconciliation even when the other party is in the wrong because even when we were in the wrong god was reconciled to us when jesus was hanging on the cross and he said father forgive them at that point in the passion saga who had apologized had pilate said man i made a bad decision i was wrong he had not had the jewish high priest said man we were wrong forgive us you are the messiah they did not did the roman soldiers apologized for crucifying Jesus, they did not. Had the jeering crowd ceased their jeering, they had not. No one had apologized, no one had said they were wrong, and Jesus said to everyone who wronged him, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Jesus himself said, Forgive, and only then shall you be forgiven. And Paul said in Ephesians 32, the very Paul who rejected John Mark, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God also in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. Forgiving one another just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. Now, you might be saying, "Oh, wait a minute, Paul's the one that didn't forgive John Mark. I don't need him giving me any advice on how to forgive. Oh, the story's not over. Paul's last letter, right before his death, 2 Timothy, you know who he wants to decide when he's pondering his own death? He tells Timothy, go get John Mark for me. He's the one I want by my side. Paul had worked through his resentment and his bitterness and his hard feelings, and like a true encourager, a true man of God, he was reconciled to John Mark. How can we encourage the discouraged? By giving to the church, by believing in others, by serving others as Barnabas did at Antioch, and by forgiving. I hope some of us say to you this week, you are Barnabas to me. I can't think of anything more biblically impactful than those words. You are Barnabas to me. Flatter me, I may not believe you. Criticize me, I may not like you. Ignore me, I may not forgive you. But if you encourage me, I will never forget you. Let us pray. Oh God, this church has so many like Barnabas in our midst. Thank you for a church that's kind and loving and encouraging and forgiving and giving and serving and believing in others. Thank you, God. I can't even go into home improvement stores without hearing a story of our Barnabas in our midst. And Father, while we do so well, I-, I pray that we individually, beginning with myself, would be encouraged to do all the better. That whatever else could be said of us, we may not be talented. We might not be athletic. We might not be intellectual. But of all the things that could be said of every one of us, we can determine these words that others would say Isn't she so encouraging? Isn't he so uplifting? Father, there may be some who hear the sound of my voice who need to be encouraged today. May we be Barnabas for him. God, there may be others who, who live life in such a, a state of utter depression. They near, need to hear the hope of the gospel of forgiveness and belief and encouragement. And yet, God, there may be others in our midst who want to be a part of a church that's full of people like Barnabas. People who give, people who believe, people who serve, and yes, people who are learning to forgive. Give us your grace and your peace. Amen.